Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. How can you not be enthusiastic when you get out in this weather? It's getting warmer, it's getting nicer, but we still got football to talk about. Lots of football, Andy. For like the last time this spring, we'll have lots of football. Like after this, I don't really know what else there is. Like, okay, school's out and they're in summer off-season conditioning drills and yeah, you know, every now and then they'll get a recruit, but there's not like a ton to talk about that's brand new with football. So this is maybe is the last hurrah of the serious football talk right now. If the Hokies are lucky, there's not a lot to talk about. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you get to the off season and no news is good news. Whenever you can avoid being in headlines, that that's the best thing because usually it's when somebody gets in trouble when you, you make some kind of off season news. Yeah, and that's where we're going to start today is with the Galen Stott, Scott news, but it will get more fun as we go along. We'll get into the draft. Uh, you know, the, the Edmonds situation, all where everyone went in the draft for the Hokies, the undrafted free agents, where they where they wound up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the hate for Josh Jackson. This is sort of uh, the vitriol. Small, he, small segment of the fan base, but very vocal yeah. whenever I write anything about him. And then we have some uh, listener questions, some, uh, some good ones again this week. Thanks for those who sent them in. We're going to do a draft of what – ACC football programs we would want to cover if we weren't uh, covering Virginia Tech. That should be fun. And uh, we'll also talk about Devin Hunter a little bit. I got something for this lie about sport or about gambling coming to Virginia. This is uh, really angering me. This is really going to get him up, worked <laughs> up. He'll get up in a lather. You want to stay for that, folks. <laughs> and a listener also wants to know what's the best sporting event we've ever covered, and we'll get to that too. Or what what's the best sporting event we've ever been to, I think is the actual question. Let's start – with the news that's not so good. Uh, Galen Scott, co-defensive coordinator, longtime friend of Justin Fuente, uh, uh, resigned abruptly last week in the wake of an extramarital affair that came to light. Andy, give us sort of the rough outline of, of, of what that story is. Well, in the last week or two weeks, uh, it had sort of become public through a Twitter account that was lofting these accusations at everybody with a Hokies uh, Twitter handle uh, that Galen Scott had uh, had an extramarital affair with this guy's wife. This guy had sent emails to the university, uh, emails to the Richmond Times-Dispatch, I believe, the same emails, and then started this sort of Twitter uh, barrage uh, to get the word out on this stuff. Uh, the university looked into it. it. It allegedly took place on recruiting trips, which you know Galen has essentially admitted to since then. Uh, among the accusations in there, which were false, or at least based on what Virginia Tech has said, was that he used Virginia Tech Athletic Department funds for this. Uh, Virginia Tech has said that is not true. There's no misuse of Athletic Department funds. Uh, the end result of this is Galen Scott has resigned. Uh, you know, this is a, a big blow to the coaching staff. This is somebody, like you said, uh, was was uh, a longtime friend of Justin Fuentes, actually introduced Justin Fuente to his wife back at Illinois State when they were both restricted earnings coaches, uh, roommates together back at that time. Uh, Galen Scott was his defensive coordinator for a time at Memphis, joined him, followed him to Virginia Tech, uh, Bud Foster is obviously a defensive coordinator, but Galen had some offers this offseason, and they ended up adding the co-defensive coordinator title uh, to his position to to keep him here. So this is obviously a valuable member of the coaching staff, and to, to lose him in this manner is both shocking and it's a blow to the team because I think he was a very good coach and he contributed quite a bit. Do, do you think that he was the 
the defensive coordinator in waiting? Do you think he was the natural successor to Bud Foster? I do. Uh, I don't know when Bud is going to hang him up, but I think he's 58 right now. And, you know, there is a, a clock that exists for everybody. You're not going to do this forever. So, uh, you know, I don't picture Bud as a guy that's going to coach until he's 70. I could see 65. You know, that's still seven years out. So, I mean, that's a long time. But uh, I thought that, uh, you know, I, I don't think giving him the co-title was a way of saying, oh, yeah, he's going to be the, the coordinator in waiting or anything like that. But I think, you know, if Bud was to do this four more years and Galen was still around, I think it would have been a natural succession. You have a guy that has learned from Bud that Fuente trusts so much to to, to run a defense uh, all these things, I think it would have been a logical choice uh, to promote him. I don't know. I've seen stuff that, that maybe they go out and get a big-name defensive coordinator hire. You know, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think historically Virginia Tech would pay for that kind of person when it's Bud, when he's been around 30 years and they trust him. I don't know if they would do that for an outside presence coming in like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I honestly thought he would have been uh, the natural successor to Bud, and, and now that plan is, you know, if it, if it in fact was in place, that plan has sort of had to have been scrapped. Well, one thing that surprised me uh, is that you and Mike Barber and Norm Wood, uh, basically the, the and maybe others too, I don't, I'm not sure, but the reporters who covered this program talked to Galen Scott. I didn't think you'd get an opportunity to do that. Um, when you talked to him, what was his tone like? What was, what did he say? Um, what were his thoughts on what was going down here? I think he was a guy who's obviously his life is in personal turmoil. Yeah. And that came across when I was talking to him. I don't feel like he was doing it to be like, oh, I have to save face in this whole thing. I think he was truly at a loss of like, how do I go about fixing this with my family? Uh, and yeah, I, I was as surprised as anybody that he talked to us in those situations. But I think there was a lot of stuff that became very public, very quick that you just couldn't ignore. You know, I mean, it was out there. Everybody saw it. Everybody has Twitter. They, they see this stuff. Uh, it became public. I mean, it was all over the message boards. I'm sitting there when this happens. I'm like, how do I report on this story? I can't just report on these, uh, you know, Twitter accusations that I can't verify or anything like that. Uh, when Galen talked to me, it, it sort of did verify some of it, and you you know you don't have to put every accusation that's out there because he did refute some of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that he talked. It, it might have been a therapeutic thing. I don't know. Uh, I guess the first thing to repairing a mistake like that is to admit a mistake like that. He did so rather publicly. Uh, and I, I think the, the the fact was all this stuff was out there for everybody to see uh, that he, he probably wanted to say something to give his side of, of what the whole situation was. Okay, well, that brings us to our first listener question of the day. This is from John Harris. He says, y'all might get into this in talking about Galen Scott, but how many coaches any sport have resigned simply because of an affair, not because of an associated misuse of funds or some other mistake, but simply because they had an extramarital affair? Seems like a common place in politics but rare in sports what are your thoughts on that Andy? yeah i can't think of too many uh you know bobby petrino in his situation obviously became public but he was also fired because he lied to his boss about hiring this person as a football staffer i mean this was within somebody within the football staff or the athletic department staff that he was doing this with that's not the case with galen this is from outside uh yes it took place on recruiting trips but it didn't sound like it was uh, any misappropriation of Virginia Tech funds. Uh, at least that's how it was described to me uh, by somebody who would know at Virginia Tech. As if, if this was, 
if they had had done the the research and found out that he had misused funds, it wouldn't have been a resignation. It would have been a firing. You you wouldn't have been given the opportunity to save face and resign in that situation. So that tells me there was not a misuse of funds. And this obviously will you know do an open records request and try to find out uh, exactly everything that went on with that. But that takes time for that to be fulfilled. But uh, yeah, you don't really get the option when you're misusing money like that. So. Uh, yeah, I can't think of another situation like that. I, I think a lot of people have been like, "Oh, well, this is his private life, and, and why does this? Why is he forced to resign on this?" Well, it became rather public. Right. I mean, the, there's no way to disassociate the, this uh, from Virginia Tech football if it took place during recruiting trips. Um, you know, I think Galen was sincere in his uh, hopes of saving his marriage, and honestly, I don't know how you could do that. If you're out recruiting still, exactly. I mean, that's part of his job. If this took place on recruiting trips, you, you, you can't honestly expect to try to save your marriage uh, if you're still out there recruiting. Uh, so, you know, and, you know, I, I think you know, he met with Fuente and then decided to resign after that. And a lot of people said, well, that's a forced resignation. It's like, yeah, it might have been. It became very public. But he's also his, one of his best friends. In it the is. World. I mean, it had to have been a tough thing. And, uh I think of the movie Hoosiers in this situation. You have not seen Hoosiers? I have not, and I have no intentions to. It's a good movie. Uh, there's a scene early on where uh, Gene Hackman, Norman Dale, comes in, and he takes over the coaching responsibilities. And the old coach is there, Chelsea Ross, who plays like he was the, the old pitcher in Major League. He was uh, the, the mean coach in, in uh, Rudy. He's like in all these sports movies. Amazing career, Chelsea Ross, but he's the old coach. He doesn't like he doesn't take kindly to Norman Dale coming up and, and taking the, the whistle away. And he says, Mister, there's two kinds of dumb. A guy that gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon, and a guy who does the same thing in my living room. The first one don't matter. The second one you're kind of forced to deal with. That's kind of what the situation is. It's like if this affair was happening, it was outside of the public eye and, and not it you know wasn't in Virginia Tech's kitchen essentially then maybe, yeah, maybe you can uh, deal with this quietly and still be on staff. But because Virginia Tech gets dragged into this and now it's the perception that's out there and it's associated with Virginia Tech recruiting and all this stuff, yeah, I think you have to resign in that situation. I think you have to kind of start over. And that's tough for everybody involved because you you mentioned – uh, Fuente and Scott's personal relationship, how far they go back. He's a valuable asset of this coaching staff. I think he brought a lot of great ideas to this defense. Uh, recruiting, I know he wasn't like the, his name wasn't on a lot of these recruits, but I think he was a, a guy that you get on the recruiting trail, and uh, he's, he's a pretty good recruiter from what I, what I gather in this whole thing. Uh, you know, it's just an unfortunate situation all around, and it's all of his doing. I mean, he, and he admitted that when he talked to me there's you know it's not trying to expect sympathy from anybody for this but you know that's the situation that it is yeah i think you hit on it i mean if you're going to rebuild trust if he's going to try to save that marriage he can't be on the road at least not in the immediate future just can't people have asked me is he going to get another coaching job what how long will it take for him to get another coaching job i would think he could at some point i think absolutely yeah he will and maybe a couple years i don't mean this to be crass but you know he he cheated on his wife. He didn't cheat in the sense of recruiting violations, which in the football world is seen as a bigger sin, I would imagine. Right. And that's a sad reality, but it's probably the reality. And I'm not going to sit here and say that 
Uh, he's the only one who's ever done this on recruiting trips. It just got found out in this situation. But you look at somebody like Bobby Petrino, he, he what, sat out a year, comes back to Western Kentucky. He's coaching at Louisville right now. And yeah, that still surrounds him all the time, but I don't think people bring it up all the time. Right. I mean, it's there. But then you look at somebody like Hugh Freeze, who cheated. <laughs> I mean, he had some other stuff going on too, but there was NCAA cheating that he did. He's sort of a guy that you can't touch right now. And maybe that changes over time, but I, I just think you can come back from the personal stuff quicker than you can come back from the professional stuff in that sense. I guess the question the, the question of that, could he ever come back to Blacksburg? That'd be tough. Yeah. That'd be a tough sell. Uh, you know, if, if anybody would do it, I could see it being the situation because of the personal relationship between the coach, the yeah. two coaches. Uh, that'd be a tough thing to do, though. I mean, it'd be tough to say it's, it's happened once. I, I feel like you have to sort of go to a smaller school first. That's sort of how this works is a smaller school takes a chance on a coach like this, and, and then you work up the ladder again. I could see a scenario, and this is getting way too far, I guess, into <sighs> someone's personal life. But, you know, if the wife comes out and, you know, says, hey, everything's fine now, you know, maybe that, that – allows a bridge to be built back to Blacksburg. But other than that, I, th I think you're right. I think that's a very tough sell. All right, let's get into more uh, happy matters for Virginia Tech. The draft. Now, I want to hear your draft story because, uh, you know, as a reporter with deadlines, uh, you have you have an idea of what's going to happen in the first round, but you're not 100% sure. Tell me about your draft night covering. Uh, well, first, we'll get the news out there in case anybody hasn't heard it. Tremaine Edmonds goes at 16. Terrell Edmonds goes, what, 29, 28? 28. 28. The first brothers ever to be drafted in the first round together. What was that like to cover that night? Uh, well, you expected Tremaine to go. I mean, he was in all the, the mock drafts and, and maybe a little bit lower than where some of those mock drafts had him going at 16 to the Bills. So it's like, okay, this is before deadline. I think we had like a 1030 deadline or something like that for copy. Uh all right, I get all this. So you got some quotes from the, the Buffalo GMs. They had press conference. You pull some stuff out of that. Tremaine says something on TV. You just pull a quote on that. You're not going to get a hold of them on the phone on a night like this where they're, they're so busy. So I'm like, all right, that's all done. I got this in. I filed the story. I, I was working on a stringer assignment for one of these preview magazines that was due the next morning. So I'm like, all right, I got to get the get down to this. I got to focus on this. I had still the draft on the background. So I'm like punching away at that because that's due at 8 a.m. the next morning. I'm like, I'm feeling really good about the progress I'm making. I'm kind of half watching the draft and I'm like, oh, Ryan Shazier's coming up on the stage. That's interesting. You know, walking for the first time uh, since his scary injury. And I'm still sort of only half listening to the whole thing. And he goes up there and he makes the announcement. I'm like, did he say who I think he said? <laughs> and I think I'm like, because he just said Terrell Edmonds. He didn't say Virginia Tech. Or like if I heard Virginia Tech, I would have been like, well, I would have heard it even more. I'm like, I was half watching. I'm looking on the thing. I see Terrell walking out there and holding up the jersey. I'm like, oh, no. this is <laughs> I've got to redo this. So, like this all of a sudden becomes like a historic angle. I right. mean, it's never happened, brothers, in the same first round of the draft. Uh, that's remarkable. And, you know, there had been some buzz the previous week that I had just disregarded. Yeah, we talked it was about Jason Lackenfora. Yeah. Uh, you know, I give him props for reporting that, and he said, you know, a lot of teams secretly covet Terrell. I'm like, why would they tell a reporter this if they secretly covet somebody? Uh, Fuente had, had sort of made, you know, I think people, he might go earlier than people said, and I'm like, oh, you know, second round or something like that, because I think he had a third or fourth round projection from a lot of sites. 
but yeah, it was a frantic, like I didn't, I was at home. So I obviously wasn't at the office. I heard Steve, our, our sports editor had uh, quite something to say after <laughs> got drafted. Uh, but I turned the story around pretty quickly. The production people, uh, I think they had two pages. They had to alter like right on the deadline for when we were going to print. Uh, they turned it around real quick. It, it sounds like it was fairly smooth once I got the story to them. Yeah, no, it was it was great. I, I read the story in the morning, and I never would have known because uh, I think everyone involved did a nice job turning that around. Uh, there was that story about the dinner in Pit- by the Pittsburgh writer, which I thought in was... In McAdoo's. Uh, that McAdoo's description. You're right. You said in your blog that it was just a fantastic description. Yeah, he, of he wrote the thing. I'm like, man, I, I've been to that McAdoo's. <laughs> I don't know if I could write the description of it better than that. That kind of makes me angry. I'm like, wow, this guy, that was really good. I forget the writer. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. I'm, I apologize. But he, he uh, looked like an older guy and been around and, and knows how to report. And he did a good job with it. But he, you know, he, he wrote about the, uh, the dinner that the, the Edmonds has had with... With, with the Pittsburgh coaching staff, right? Yeah, and, Tomlin was there for the pro day. Um, and I guess he, you know, the the family just, and we've talked about it so many times about the family just being so impressive. But, you know, the, from everything from the prayer to listening to your papa, you know, when he tells you to do something, all resonated with, with Coach Tomlin there. And that probably helped him get drafted. Yeah, I, th- I think there was, uh, they were starting the mail and, and uh, Farrell, like, turns to Tremaine. He's like, hop to it. Say the, say the prayer here. It's like, okay, all right. They got that done. And then I think later uh, their mom was talking to, to Tomlin and being like something to the effect of like, like you'll let me know if like he does something. Like, this might have been after he got drafted. Like you'll let me know if he does something like buy some crazy car on the first day he's up there. It's like this is a very grounded family. Yeah. Uh, you know, from Danville. Like I used to work in Danville, so I lived there. And it just seems like – very grounded family football coach where Farrell was. I, I didn't realize this, but he was one of the first sort of, he helped out with Averett football when it was starting its football program. He was later the, the Dan river head coach uh, still is maybe I can't remember if he still is or not down there, but uh, I, I think you're right. I think if you're a football coach and sometimes you deal with sort of these prima donnas that come through the process and stuff like that, you get to a family like this and it's extremely refreshing that you're like, all right, I don't need to worry about these guys. Uh, their head's too big or anything like that. And certainly, uh, you know, Terrell being a guy that went a lot higher than he thought, many people thought he would. I think he's still going to have sort of that fire to prove, you know, a lot of people said they reached for this pick. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just going to motivate him more at the next level. Well, you lived in Danville, as you said. Did you ever imagine you'd have one number one draft pick come from there, much less two in the same draft. I mean, uh, no, yeah, no, I don't know how good the football is. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Barber brothers from cave spring. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess that's, that's bigger than, uh, Danville, the whole Roanoke area, but yeah, I would not have imagined, uh, when I was down there that, I mean, Danville is actually, you know, David Wilson, he's from Danville too. I mean, They've got some talents and some athletes down there. It has uh, served Virginia Tech well to continue to sort of monitor that area for whenever really good recruits come through. And talk about, I mean, like you go back to, you know, Trey Edmonds was like a parade All-American. So, you know, everybody was going to recruit that guy anyway. But credit to like, you know, Brian Steinspring and the staff back then for getting in with that family early and continuing to do it. And, you know, I think Tremaine was like a six four, six five guy coming out of high school kind of obvious that you were going to recruit a guy like that. I don't think Terrell 
was like that. I went back and I looked at his offer list. It was Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, and Hampton yeah. when he committed. And he committed early, so maybe he could have gotten some more interest later on. But uh, I don't think it was a slam dunk that Terrell was going to be this kind of player along his career. So, you know, a lot of credit to the Hokies recruiting staff back in the day for, you know, figuring out this, this family was going to be like this and, and be productive players. All right. And then, so after that happens, nobody goes on, on day two. Nobody goes on that Friday night. But then we have a wave of three players go on the final day from Virginia Tech. On it always seems to go that way, where like there's a long drought and like two guys go within five picks. And yeah. you're like, hey, come on, I'm trying to catch up writing on this stuff. And then another guy goes off the board. First one to go on Saturday was Tim Settle of the Red, uh, goes to the Redskins in the fifth round. Uh, I have read some things online that I don't remember us talking about. I'm sure we did, but uh, you know, about I guess Settle had a terrible combine performance he did not do well they said he looked like he couldn't you know walk and chew gum at the same time yeah i don't think it was his finest moment yeah Uh, to to be fair i don't think the combine is built for 330 pound guys Uh, i don't think you go out there and you're like all right you're gonna see this 330 pounder around the 40 and really impress but you look at some of the individual drills I, i don't know if it was nerves or whatever it was i just didn't think he had his best day yeah but i just you know when you think of guys that come out early you think, well, they feel like they're probably going to do pretty well relative to their size and everything like that in the combine because they're going to be ready for it. But, um, talk, you know, how's that fit in, in Washington for Settle? I think it's good because he's not necessarily going to be expected to go out there and play every down. Uh, I think you can kind of be a specialist in his situation at his size. Uh, it probably is beneficial to be sort of a run-stopping guy. I know he can be more than that because I've seen him do it at Virginia Tech, but you know they've got Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne that they drafted this year. I mean, they have some defensive linemen that are out there. They're going to be the starters. Uh, so I think you can go in there and be a fifth-round pick. You're maybe a little bit under the radar. Uh, maybe a little motivation in, in Tim's part that to go out there and prove people wrong again, as he did with, you know, you know, qualifying out of high school proved a lot of people wrong. Losing the thirty pounds, I think he proved a lot of people wrong at Virginia Tech. I think that kind of drives him. So, you know, short term, it, it maybe doesn't feel good to drop to the fifth round for Tim, but uh, long term, maybe this is kind of a boost that he needs in his professional career to to get it going even more. Okay, and then as you said, a few picks later. Uh, off goes Wyatt Teller off the board to the Bills. Uh, Wyatt, obviously, uh, you know, uh, up and down career here. I mean, he was obviously very good, uh, very talented. Uh, seemed to get suspended for a game once every year. <laughs> uh, well, he had, that silly we- things. he had that weird thing earlier in 2016 where him and the coaching staff just kind of weren't on the same page. Yeah. And he he's later talked, not to me, because for some reason we just never could get him to talk when he was at Virginia Tech, but he was at the Senior Bowl and he was talking about this. Uh, he had ADHD and maybe that kind of contributed to like, you know, the coaches were kind of in tune with the fact that he kind of spaces out sometimes. Uh, but once he, they figured that out and kind of went going, I think he was, he was better. Obviously he was really good his junior year. And from all the pro scouts are saying he, he took a step back his senior year. I didn't get that sense uh, last year. And he was a first team all ACC guy. So I, I don't know exactly what they're talking about in that sense, but there was some up and down play in there. How's he fit with the bills? Do you think? Well, the Bills aren't that good, so I, I, I'm, I'm trusting other people. I think it was Eric Galco, who's from a, a scouting site, that said he wouldn't be surprised if Wyatt could step in and compete for a starting job just because they need some powerful guys on there. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what the Bills' depth chart is like. I just know that Wyatt, uh, you know, maybe not the best guy in space, but you get him in a, in a phone booth, and he's a really powerful blocker. I, I think that could translate well to the NFL. Okay. Uh, 
I will say he had this uh, quote with Bill's reporters after he got drafted. He said he's going to celebrate with eight beef and Fritos burritos from Taco Bell, <laughs> which is something he had talked about when he was here with us before, how much he loves Taco Bell. And I think it was that exact same order. So that's kind of his go-to thing. <laughs> could, could you eat eight beef and Fritos burritos? I'm sure I could. You think you could? Oh, yeah. Wow. I couldn't eat. Yeah. No, there's no way You've I could do that. you me go to work at... Uh... Mexican place. I've also seen you eat like salads and stuff. That's like true. You eat healthier on, than people would think. It depends. Depends on the uh, whether I'm going up or down the scale. I like. If to, I, I like was to fluctuate. in my eating heyday in college, I think I could have done it. But uh, I've mellowed out with age. I don't know. The metabolism isn't as good as it once was. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. I'd be sick. Also, what 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 is the condition of Wyatt Teller's colon the day after this? <laughs> like he's so used to eating this much and, and this variety of food that that maybe he's okay the next day. But man, I would be hurting for a long, long time if I ate that order from Taco Bell. Now we know why they never let us talk to him here in Blacksburg. What are, what is the condition of your colon, Wyatt? Uh, Update us on the condition of your colon. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the Bills strike again in the seventh round. Take another hokey. They get uh, Greg Stroman. Uh, how about what do you think of him? Well, how about this first? Tim Settle and Greg Stroman, Stonewall Jackson high school teammates, okay. Virginia Tech teammates, and now they're Washington Redskins teammates. That's kind of cool. Uh, oh, you know, he went to the Redskins. I put Bills. No, he's the Redskins, too. That yeah, the fault. Redskins have uh, lately, I mean, they took uh, Kaishan Jarrett a couple years ago, had the unfortunate injury. Uh, Kendall Fuller, two years ago, they ended up trading him, which was a ridiculous trade. Don't get me started on how bad I think that trade was for the Redskins uh, this past offseason. But now they take two Virginia Tech guys here who are – you know, Manassas guys, so they're not that far from uh, Landover. I would I would imagine probably grew up as Redskins fans, uh, being that close to them. Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting spot for Strowman. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that I thought, you know, a couple years ago I wondered, like, I don't know how this guy's going to make it. Like, remember that East Carolina game where he yeah. just got toasted in that game? Roasted. Or, roasted or, or toasted. <laughs> I guess it would be roasted in that situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at him like, is this guy ever going to have like the size to play college football? And then he proved me wrong by the time he was a senior. I mean, he was a you know, tenacious guy out there, first team All ACC pick. Uh, you know, nine career interceptions I had. And then you add on to that the punt return capabilities that he have. Uh, you know, you have to do more than just play uh, you know nickel defense or some kind of defense. You have to contribute on special teams, and you know that's probably a way onto the roster for him. I feel like we should explain the roasted or toasted thing because do it. we're going to use it in the future. But Randy King, <laughs> in my book, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he once asked a defensive back at Virginia Tech, he says, you know, this is a tough job you got as a corner. I mean, either you're going to get roasted or you're going to get toasted. And the rest of us reporters were like, well, he could do well, Mappy. <laughs> he's like, no, I mean, toasted as in raising the glass. And uh, oh, we're like, okay, so – but uh, now, when you, whenever you say toasted, i got to throw roasted in there. Roasted or toasted. <laughs> All right. Uh, this question is from T-Bone. This is related to the draft. Please update us on all hokey undrafted free agent signings. All right. Here's who we have. Uh, let's find it. Brandon Faison to the Chargers. Andrew Matuapawaka to the Jaguars. Cam Phillips with the Bills. Those were the undrafted free agent signings where they actually signed something. Uh, a couple other guys got invites to camp. Eric Gallo to the Eagles. Joey Sly has Buccaneers and Browns tryouts. Uh, the Browns part was according to the, uh, the his high school Twitter account, his football Twitter account. So he somebody must have told them. <laughs> I would imagine Joey Sly told them about that. Uh, James Clark got a Giants invitation. 
Uh, Colton Taylor, local long snapper from Salem, got a Jets invite and a Redskins invite to camps. So we'll see how that goes for those guys. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else uh, that could have a chance that were seniors last year. None are really sticking out in my mind, but uh, you know, every now and then a guy surprises you that gets a camp invite and, and gets to go to something. Well, let's put a bow on the draft outside of the Hokie land. Uh, I thought the, the funniest or the greatest uh, pick was Philadelphia Eagles taking that Jordan Maiton guy. The, Is he the, the Australian the rugby player from rugby Australia? Player. I think he's from Samoan descent, but he, he lived in Australia and uh, grew up there. And, and he, if you watch these YouTube videos of this guy just running over people, it is fantastic. Six, eight or six, nine, three something. Um, the only disappointing thing was when Philadelphia drafted him, they're like, yeah, we're going to make him an offensive lineman. Yeah. Have some originality, man. Like put him in the backfield and give him the ball. Like he has that experience. He, you know, that video reminded me of, and I think Levitard shown it a bunch on his show of like that, like very husky child that's just wrecking shop on a rugby field. You've seen that. <laughs> yeah. You've seen that one, right? He's just like twice as big as all the kids, and he's just mowing them down. He's like running out of his way to like plow over <laughs> these kids on the way to the the end zone or whatever they call it in rugby. It kind of reminded me of that because that guy is so big. But it's like you see him out there, and you see him like with mobility and stuff. It's yeah. like, come on, you're the Super Bowl champs. Like, have some, put him as a fullback and put him out there and do some unique stuff with him. I think that'd be more fun than being like, nope, we're going to make you a, a left tackle and we're going to groom you for several years and see if it works out. Yeah. Well, anytime you watch rugby clips, you know, we talk so much about concussions and how dangerous NFL is. And but then you watch rugby clips and you're like, ah, NFL players are wimps. Well, I will say that in rugby, they don't lead with the head. Yeah, because they don't have the helmets. They right. don't have that like fearlessness. That like, oh, nothing can happen to me. I'm wearing a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> so they go out there and they're a little bit smarter about uh, how they fly in there with their head. Okay. Anything outside of the Hokies that you wanted to talk about from the draft? I don't know how much of you watched outside of the uh, C.J. Revis, a former Virginia Tech player, who finished his career at Marshall, also signed with the okay. Jaguars as a free agent. That was something. Uh, I was kind of surprised that Mayfield went number one. Yeah, were you? Yes, very much so. I think everybody was, right? I guess. I mean, some there were some people in the industry that became convinced that that was the case. They were on the scent uh, right before it happened. I, I just, you know, six foot quarterbacks is not the way that uh, NFL teams draft. And then to see Saquon Barkley go number two, which I guess is a little more acceptable because everybody just kind of assumed he was the top prospect uh, in the draft. But you know, running backs don't really—they're they're a dime a dozen in the NFL, and their careers are not very long. Uh, so you see a six foot quarterback on number one and uh, a running back on number two, which, you know, these are obviously the Heisman trophy winner and one of the best running backs in college football. These are great college players. It just kind of surprised me that you don't see the NFL teams going the NFL route and drafting the six, five quarterback and the, you know, left tackle from someplace you've never heard of that. Oh, he's going to project as a starting left tackle in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I know who I voted for, for, for the Heisman Trophy, but uh, that doesn't make me an NFL GM, you know. Uh, I was also surprised Quinn, Br- Quinn Blanding from Virginia didn't go, you know, three-and-a-half-year starter there. How amazing is that when you look at the careers of Terrell Edmonds and Quinn Blanding? Yeah. And Quinn Blanding's a five-star guy. He was the all-ACC guy every year, it seemed like. I voted for Terrell his junior year. I didn't think Terrell has as good of a senior year, and I actually voted Blanding uh, first team there. But I did vote Terrell first team all-ACC in 2016. Uh, but yeah, the difference between those two and Terrell was a three-star guy, uh, didn't get all the all ACC love throughout his career. And then he ends up being a first rounder and Blanding goes undrafted. That's, that's kind of amazing. 
Well, while you were watching the draft, I was at the UVA Spring Festival, and I saw the football Spring Festival. Yeah, I saw. They didn't have a game. Did they, they have numbers? They did not have numbers. God, that's got to be. But it was impossible to cover. It was not hard to identify this new quarterback, Bryce Perkins, who's my new guy. He's Six good. Three, yeah. Two. Where did he come from? He came from Arizona Western Community College. He started at Arizona State. Had a <clears throat> neck injury that really uh, set him back. Almost, uh, you know, took his career away from him. He recovered from that, went to Arizona Western, emerged as a dual threat, and he looked really good out there. Now, really? Here's the, you'll, you'll like this little story, but in the press conference afterwards, Bronco, uh, Dowdy asked Bronco about uh, his breakaway speed. And he says, nobody on our team can catch him. That's what I've seen throughout the spring. Whenever he gets in the open field, nobody can catch him. And Dowdy, in his true cynicism, says, okay, well, what about other teams? <laughs> and Bronco, Bronco, to his credit, laughed, and he's like, "Yeah, well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it?" <laughs> but yeah, anyway, he he looks pretty good. Um, I don't know about the rest of their team though, but that that gives me you you wanted to briefly mention that the hate that Josh Jackson seems to get anytime you mention it's him. It's weird. I did. Uh, I'm doing sort of spring position reviews, going position by position. I start with the quarterback because you always start with the quarterback. Uh, and sort of the question was, can anybody challenge Josh Jackson? Uh, this offseason and you know it's, it's a somewhat rhetorical question it's just a, a way to get into the post and like well here's the how they left the spring and I still think Josh Jackson's the starter essentially uh, and a lot of the responses I got and a lot of stuff on the message boards like I hope so I hope somebody can challenge him oh we we if we want to win a game I hope that somebody challenged him I'm like this was a guy who went nine and four in his redshirt freshman season uh, 2,991 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, nine picks. Like these are great numbers for a redshirt freshman. And I feel like there's a segment of the fan base that is just so anti Josh Jackson for some reason. Um, yeah, there's I some... remember he had one proven receiver really. And right. Phillips and the rest were kind of unknowns. Right. CJ Carroll, you knew something about, but he, yeah, he was injured for some of the year. Right? Five games. Josh Nijman's out at the end of the year. You don't have your left tackle. Steven peoples was out for seven or eight games with that ankle injury. Uh, yeah, I just don't quite understand the vitriol that people have over Josh Jackson when you're like, yeah, he's probably going to be the starter this year. And they go, no, I want something. Like, it's part of it's the backup syndrome where, you know, people always elevate the backup quarterback. I've heard a lot of it out there. It's like, oh, he's he's already reached his limit. Like, he's maxed out on his ability. And I'm just like, that's not true. Like, he's not the athlete that some of these other guys were, but... You can be a really good quarterback without being this, you know, extraordinary athlete in the sense that, like, you know, Logan Thomas and Gerard Evans were. That you know, Logan Thomas was just physically amazing as a, a just athlete. I mean, you look at him now; he's an NFL tight end uh, to be able to make that transition. You know, some people would argue should have made that earlier, but that's beside the point. You know, Gerard Evans with his sort of elusive ability in the open field. You know, Josh Jackson's not like those guys, but you can be a very effective quarterback and continue to grow even if you're not this you know otherworldly athlete. Well, it'd be funny to go back and look at your Twitter mentions and your inbox uh, after that West Virginia game, what people thought of Josh oh, Jackson. Oh, yeah, it was in the future. Everybody's <laughs> like, well, debut. the next four years are locked up. <laughs> Nobody's going to beat him for this job. But I think it does go back to what you said. You've, you've used that analogy before about the schedule having so many empty calories in it. And... Uh, there just wasn't another big win after that after that West Virginia game, really. I mean, it right. was a lot of just, you know, beating crappy teams by a lot or losing coin flip games to teams that, uh, you know, would have been big wins. So, uh, you know, I think there is that, uh, well, people want to see improve 
prove he can beat good teams uh, beyond just that West Virginia game, then, you know, you got to give him a little time to do it, I think. Give him an opportunity. <laughs> right. I, I just I don't understand how all of a sudden it's become, well, Ryan Willis is the guy that's going to do it. It's like, well, Ryan Willis didn't beat anybody when he was at Kansas. He wasn't that great when he was there. Like, yeah, I, I know he looked good throwing the ball down the field in one spring game, which is the only thing anybody saw of spring practice. So they're going to assume that's what he did throughout the entirety of spring, even though, you know, players and coaches have both sort of raved about, uh, you know, how Jackson had performed all spring as well. So, uh, yeah, I just it just seems like it's people that want to complain about something for the sake of complaining. I, it happens every time with a quarterback who's an entrenched guy. People wanted somebody other than Brewer to start. People wanted somebody other than Logan Thomas to start. Probably did not happen with Tyrod Taylor. I think Tyrod was the guy his entire time here. But I'm sure there was some point during like a sophomore season where people kind of complained about like, oh, he's not completing a lot of passes or a high percentage of his passes i'm sure that was out there even though it's been glossed over over time it seems like people just want to pick apart whoever your starting quarterback is yeah all right well, let's have some fun here this is from john in charlottesville enough of this garbage let's get to the fun <laughs> john charlottesville says the roanoke times has decided to assign you two to be the beat writers for some other football team in the acc based on location quality of football games to cover media friendliness of the coaching staff, level of fan fanaticism, and any other factor that is important to you, list your preference of other ACC schools to cover 1 through 13. Please elaborate on why. All right, John, thanks for the question. We are going to – oh, and he also says, sidebar, who wins an arm wrestling contest for the first choice? I, I'm not sure I could actually beat you in an arm wrestling contest, but you've conceded it already. You're going to give me the first pick. You've got some size on me. I think you can I take I do have me. size. That's one thing I haven't I been have. as, I've uh, always had size. I haven't been in the gym as much as I'd like lately. <laughs> um, we're going to do a quick draft. We're um, going to draft it. We're going to take that who has the first choice and just you know completely redo your question from ranking them 1 to 13 and actually do a three-round draft three on this. Three-round draft, and I will go first. I am going to take – Pitt. And this Pittsburgh. Is, shocking. This First is, choice. This is shocking. I may end up regretting this, but uh, there's there's several things at play here. One, there's a casino right next to, right next this to your Aaron's stadium. number one choice is where the casino uh, is. The food at Pittsburgh is amazing. Uh, it's excellent. The, the SID, and I wish I knew his name. Borghetti. Borghetti. He is just fantastic. Um, the Pittsburgh reporters always look happy when they show up to work. Um, now, and Pitt every once in a while can make a run, but there's not a whole lot of expectations there. Like you got to be great. They have a good history, you know, of the, the, the door sets and such. But that you know, in recent years, it's been kind of like mediocre. So you know, there's not a whole lot of like crazy pressure to cover, you know, this team like there would be in say, you know, at Florida State or something like that. But um, but it'd be a lot of fun if they went on a run to cover them and 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 show up to that NFL stadium every week and eat the delicious food and and cover the team and then go roll some dice afterwards. That's my number one pick. That's a good pick. I don't know if I would have gone number one with it, but it's your pick. And I like that, the town, That fits too. you very well. Yeah, Pittsburgh's a fun town. I, I like enjoy it. it every time we go up there. You'd be covering it during, like, the fall. Like, you could see, like, Pirates games and Steelers games yeah. be right there. That'd be Pirate very nice. Pirates awesome, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, uh, with my first pick, I will take Clemson. Okay. Because they're very good at football, yeah. and it'd be very interesting to cover a team that, that is that good at football. I mean, you, you're covering Clemson, you're like, okay, I'm going to the playoff to cover the playoff this year. Right. That'd be cool. Uh, that stadium's amazing. The atmosphere's amazing. Covering Dabo would be really interesting because you, you ask him, like, 
how's the weather today? And he goes off like a 10-minute rant about something with the NCAA or, you know, people keep saying Clemsoning and that's not a thing anymore. It's like I was asking about the weather. But, you know, he, like whenever you need like uh, some sort of trend piece in the ACC, like you got to get Dabo on the ACC teleconference because he will fill up that story with quotes. Uh, you know, on top of that, you'd be covering an amazing team. Uh, I mean, four All-Americans on the defensive line this year that are coming back. Uh, I like Clemson. I, I haven't really spent time in Clemson, the town. I think it'd be cool. I, I think it's a lot like Auburn or a lot like Blacksburg, where it's sort of it's a small story. town. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be an interesting thing. Uh, I think great value pick at number two in this draft to get Clemson. Well, I'm glad I didn't trade up because that was going to be my number three pick. Really? It would not have been my number two. Okay. So I'm still going to get my number two at number three, and that would be the University of Miami. That's that's a big one. I thought about taking that there, but I didn't want to give up Clemson. There, there's some obvious. I think in the off season, I probably would not live in Miami. I would move somewhere else. I would move back up here and live here in the off season. I would just co- go cover them during football season. But uh, you know everything from the turnover chain to you know just the the atmosphere down there is just and and, and football is coming back there. You can tell it. We we wrote about it when it happened uh, this past year when Tech went down there and the, the, the it was so festive at that stadium. Um, and I also you know I don't know if they still do it this way because I have not tried to interview an, a Miami player after a game in a long time. But I remember back you know maybe seven eight eight years ago they just opened their locker room. You just go in and it was like a pro style. Really? Yeah. I don't think they do that anymore. They probably don't, but I've, I'm going to I guess. thought you were going to say something like they served you empanadas while well, you were Well, they did do that too. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. But they, um, yeah, it was a, it was a very uh, pro style of, of coverage. You know, they trusted their players. Their players would pop off in the mouth and they didn't care. It was just, you know, it was fun. You, you go talk to guys one-on-one. Um, plus, you get to sit in the same press box with Greg Cody. That'd be great. I love that guy on the Lebtard show every Tuesday. Uh, so, I mean, I, Miami's uh, – we, we've had some of our best times on the road at Miami. Now, living there might be a little different, but, gosh, that'd be a pretty good – just at least for one year, it'd be a lot of fun to cover. I would country. have considered that number one. Yeah. I mean, I, it was that in Clemson. I'm like, well, the, the team at Clemson is so much more interesting to cover. But, yeah, you're right. It's like, well, I have an off day here in Miami. I think I'll go down to the beach and <laughs> just maybe make every single day an off day. Um, my next pick, it kind of drops off, I think, from there. I'm going to take Florida State. Okay. Just because I think it'd be an interesting program to cover. Certainly this year with the coaching change and kind of how crazy people are about that. I mean, last year would have been amazing to cover that team with all the turmoil that was going on. Jimbo discarding a Christmas tree outside his house and stuff like that. Uh, Tallahassee's not a great town. Like it's not. I go there and you drive like five miles outside of town. It's like swamp. Like it's like Florida swamp everywhere. Uh, You know, I, I don't think it's that great. Uh, down there, it'll be interesting going on the trip this year. I think the stadium's amazing, but I, I kind of question Tallahassee as a whole like that. But I, I think covering that program would be interesting because there's always something going on. <laughs> it always seems like there's some sort of legal matter going on or there's some sort of uh, interesting recruiting thing going on. I, I, I think just in terms of like a luster of the ACC programs, Florida State would be an interesting one to cover for a year. Well, I was torn between Florida State or this other team for my my last pick, so I'm glad you made that decision easy for me. I'm going to go with Louisville. Interesting. Louisville. That'd be uh, a good one. Louisville is 10 minutes from Horseshoe, Southern <clears throat> Indiana. 
that's a big, big factor. Uh, and I should have mentioned with the Miami thing, you got a hard rock down there, but it's just poker and blackjack. It's, there's no craps, but it's still better than nothing. It's better than what we've got here in Virginia, and I got something for what we got here in Virginia in a minute. But Louisville, you know, they're in that Atlantic division, so you got those games with Clemson that you know are going to be big. You got those games with Florida State, you know, are going to be big. The games with the Syracuse are going to be interesting. You know, um, they've brought in, you know, transcendent talents like Lamar Jackson. You never know when you're going to get a guy like that in there. Um, you know, they're competitive, they're fun, I, I, but I don't feel like it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, every time you tweet something, everybody's going to rip your throat out because they're mad about their program not doing this or that. So the, I think people are getting a little taste of my, my sensibilities here in that, and then I took Pittsburgh number one and I'm taking Louisville number three, but um, the, 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 the competing for national championships isn't that important to me. If I'm going to make this decision, I'm making this decision based on lifestyle. Oh yeah. So there's my pick. That's a good pick. There's a casino nearby. 10 minutes. 10 yeah. minutes. That was the first thing I mentioned. Okay. Horseshoe. Yeah. My last pick, uh, Slim Pickens, once you get down here. I'm not taking any of the North Carolina schools. I mean, we're doing a football draft, not basketball. I'm not right. going to go cover any of those. Uh, I'm not going to take UVA. I like Charlottesville. Great town and everything. But covering that program right now, uh, I don't think I'd want to do that. Uh, so I'm going to go with Boston College. I considered Syracuse for a second there just because I like Dino Babers and that offense would be interesting. Uh, be a little cold all the way up there in Syracuse. Boston College is not necessarily warmer, but there's a couple factors here. First of all, Adazio would be amazing to cover. I mean, he's your he's your guy. He's your dude. He's he's back in my good graces. Yes. I mean, he, could you imagine covering that guy and that kind of optimism on a daily basis? Oh, that's great. It'd be amazing to do that. Uh, second of all, the press box food is incredible. Chowder. Chowder. I mean, I would gain. 30 pounds in a season covering Boston College because they just have unlimited chowder at, at your disposal. I mean, that's tough and to pass popcorn up. popcorn and snacks. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, everything. Italian. You don't want to get up to get the chowder. You've got stuff right at yeah, the table. Yeah, and last year our seats were like right in front of where the, the chowder was. <laughs> so we really could have just like turned around and ladled up some more chowder to eat. It's always a contest to see who can eat the most over there. I think I had probably three bowls uh, the last time we were there. Uh, Boston, I like Boston as a city. I know you don't like it that much. The trips up there, you're uh, you're a small town guy. Yeah. You don't like the big city. Uh, I like Boston. I like the tea. I like riding around on that. I like going to all the places. You got the Red Sox. You got the history of Boston around there. I think that'd be pretty cool. And I've already taken Clemson and Florida State in this draft, and those are two schools with just intense scrutiny on every single thing you do. It'd be nice to have an option on there where people don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, BC is what, like 15th in the pecking order of, I mean, and like BC football specifically. Right. I think people care more about BC hockey, obviously the four major pro sports that are up there. I mean, it's just, it's so far down the pecking order that like you, you try to find information in the newspapers about it up there. There's just not a lot of it. So, uh, yeah, you, you'd like to be writing stuff that everybody's going to pay attention to and care about. But I already have two of those schools in Clemson, Florida State, so I'll take BC with my third pick. Okay, as a bonus, let's pick our, our last place. I'm going to take Wake Forest, and I know the SID there. The one time I played golf at that uh, ACC football kickoff, I played with their SID, Steve Shutt. Yeah, he's I did a, too. I played with him too. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, and they do a great job there. Uh, the press box is very comfortable. Uh, there's, you know, there's nothing about the game day – situation that I don't like but 
I, I don't want to. I don't want to be that irrelevant. I don't want to. I don't want the team I cover to be that uh, down in the dumps. It always feels like you're punching. You know, just so high up above you. Aaron head. is speaking about an eight and five Wake Forest team. Yeah, last I mean, that were, won the Belt Bowl. They were better. Yeah, they were better. And I guess they were only one game behind the Hokies record wise. But um, you know, you just look at that division, and you got Clemson, Florida State, Louisville. I mean, it's just just a quixotic dream to to compete for that title i think and so i think that would be a little bit of a bummer um uh, you know maybe maybe it shouldn't be last but uh i'm gonna put it there what would be your last place out of what's left this is a tough one i'm gonna say georgia tech okay i like atlanta i like going down there uh if you'd have to cover that kind of offense every single week that would just really be a drag after a while and I don't think a lot of people care about Georgia Tech that much. Maybe there's a segment there, but you're in Georgia. People care about the Bulldogs right. uh, much more than they care about Georgia Tech, even in Atlanta, where Georgia Tech is, I would say. Um, you'd have to cover Paul Johnson. <laughs> That'd be rough. Like I, I guess maybe you could, if you're covering him every day, that you would maybe kind of associate on the wavelength a little bit more. Kind of, kind of like when I was covering Virginia. Like I kind of understood where Al Groh was coming from then. I didn't always agree with how he went about things, but like every now and then he'd say something that people would like hammer him for. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of on Al's side on this one. I get where he's coming from with this, and maybe that's the case with Paul Johnson when you're around him. But he just always seems so frumpy all the time. It, that'd be that'd be tough. I, it's just like, oh my god, they're doing another option play. Oh my gosh, here it comes. And he Here's another thing. You would have to get an apartment or something right next to the stadium because you do not want to deal with that traffic every day. No, no, I mean, that'd be horrible. I, given where we live, we're so blessed where we live. If we need, if we're 15 minutes away from something, we leave 15 minutes away. You know, like out and that, and we're there. Uh, I always we, like it when I hit like a traffic jam in Blacksburg. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what is this? New York? There are two roads in Blacksburg. One of them's backed up. What is this nonsense? Oh, you hear me cursing on so 460 angry. <laughs> at 5 o'clock out here in Roanoke every now and then. And then I remember the Beltway when I was in college in, at Maryland. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Is- a five-minute backup? <laughs> I'm going to be 20 minutes late. This is absurd. All right. And we have a question here from Bill Foley. It's at Matt A. Poise Etman on Twitter. I can't wait to see Devin Matt Hunter. Matt Apoisetman? Well, there's no A. Matt Apoisetman. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see Devin Hunter display his athleticism. What do you see his role being this season, Andy? I don't know. Uh, I mean, they had him working at whip linebacker, and I feel like that's his future. But you've got Mook Reynolds there as a starter. You're not going to take Mook off the field. I mean, he's one of their best defensive players. Uh, he's worked at whip linebacker all, all spring. I mean, I guess he could still play safety, but you look at the safeties, you've got uh, Divine Diablo and Reggie Floyd there. I feel like those are guys they really want to go forward with in those spots. Uh, Khalil Ladler's has stepped up as a backup, who's stepped up quite a bit because Diablo's been hurt so much. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly where he fits in. I mean, there are all sorts of packages and stuff, and perhaps having somebody like Devin Hunter, who they're really excited about, allows Bud to get a little more exotic with his defenses that he has out there. But uh, I, I don't feel like it's going to be a full-time starting job somewhere. You're going to see him out there all the time, unless somebody gets hurt. I mean, if somebody gets hurt, I think you plug him in and you go, this is the guy that we're going to go with here, even if it's a position uh, like a safety spot that he hadn't practiced all spring. But uh, right now I look at the starting lineup and I, I don't see a starting spot for him. Okay. Uh, our last listener question is from at let's go Hokies. Oh, eight. Um, 
podcast question of the fun and non-hokey variety. What is the best sporting event you have attended, and what is the top quote-unquote bucket list event you want to attend? Andy, you can go first. I have been to a Final Four when I was in college, and Wisconsin made it as an eight seed, and it was sort of like my introduction to uh, sports writing. And I'm like, this is great. You cover a Final Four every season, and obviously I've never been back to a Final Four since. Uh, but that was obviously pretty memorable, even though Wisconsin lost in that. That was in Indianapolis in 2000, uh, all the way back then. Uh, the Iron Bowl was always something that was great. Uh, the best one I covered was that Cam Newton year where Auburn was down 24 nothing in Tuscaloosa, came back and won that game. Uh, covered a national championship, which in Auburn and in Oregon that year uh, in Phoenix, uh, you know, I, I will say that does kind of feel, have a corporate feel to it when you're at a national championship game like that. I, I thought in terms of atmosphere, going to that Iron Bowl was a much better thing. Uh, so those are sort of be the top three things I would say that I've covered. A lot, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've covered has been football stuff because I've been a, primarily a football writer since 2008. So, Well, I don't think you have to cover it. I mean, you could just go to it. Uh, well, if there's one more I can add then, I, yeah. I would put the Masters. I went to a practice round yeah. as a fan. Uh, Nathan Waters, friend of the podcast, uh, we went down there 2010, 2011. I can't, I can't remember the year exactly. It was when Tiger came back after the accident, I think, was out there for the first time because we kind of trailed him around during the practice round. And that place is just like a golfing mecca. I mean, if you're a golf fan, you have to go there at some point in your life. Uh, it was just so cool to see everything that you see on TV and how much more vivid it is in person and how much different it is, angles and such and distances. Uh, that was a really cool experience. Okay, I'll get your bucket list uh, item in a second. I'll give you my uh, best event I've ever covered. Game six of the 1997 American League Championship Series, Orioles and Indians. Orioles were down 3-2 in the series. They had Messino on the mound, and then they had Scott Erickson going on in Game 7 if they wanted. It would be at home, and I had tickets to Game 7 as well. They lost this game, and they lost the series. They lost the game one nothing. It was Charles Nagy working in and out of trouble. Uh, Orioles got 10 hits, couldn't, couldn't score a run. Game went to extra innings, went to 11 innings. And I cannot tell you how – intense every pitch was I mean it was every moment was huge because you know obviously nobody had a lead ever in the game and the Orioles kept putting runners on on base and here we are standing again waving towels and ready for a you know uh, this elusive run and it wouldn't come but then you know our pitchers would come in and and dominate and and you know get out of jams themselves it was just so great and then Tony Fernandez hit a home run in the top of the 11th inning uh, off Armando Benitez, and uh, that was it. One nothing. Orioles lose. But I remember walking to my car, saying, "It's going to be really hard to watch 162 games again next year because of how close this team was this year." But man, that was the best game I've ever seen. The best atmosphere I've ever seen. And I couldn't talk for like two days. I had no voice left. It was so amazing. And Tony Fernandez went on to be a World Series hero. Oh wait, no, the exact opposite. That's, that's right. That's how it ended. <laughs> All right, what, what's your bucket list? I think. You know, as a college football writer, I think it'd be really cool to go to cover Rose Bowl. And, yeah. uh, you know, Wisconsin went to a couple of Rose Bowls when I was at college, and I didn't go. It's like a big Wallace Wade. <laughs> That's what you've heard. <laughs> I want to cover an actual Rose Bowl, not uh, a UCLA-Virginia season opener game there where there's 20,000 people in a 100,000-seat stadium or whatever it was. You'll take it, it if you spent the previous three days in Vegas. Yeah. Like now, I think it'd be really cool to go to a Rose Bowl where it's the split stadium, the two colors on both sides, 
I'd want to see a Big Ten, Pac-12 matchup. I'd want to see Wisconsin against, you know, USC or something like that. Some some kind of game like that uh, that would have that huge atmosphere and uh, sort of that tradition that goes along with it. I think that'd be really cool to go to. Well, would you want it to be in the national semifinal or something like that? Because doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. No, I, th- I think the Rose Bowl by itself just kind of stands on its own. Okay, I th- that's something that, as a sports writer, I think it'd be really cool to cover something like that. Okay, I'd like to, and I don't want to cover this. I just want to be in the stands for it, a World Series Game Seven in in Baltimore. I mean, that's uh, it. Wouldn't get any better than that because of all the things I just said about a Game Six of the ALCS against the Indians, which. You know, and if I could pick the opponent, I guess it'd be, I don't know, maybe the Nats or something like that. You know, because there's there's a little bit of a budding rivalry there, or somebody maybe somebody like the Phillies, where you know it would really piss them off if you beat them. And and uh, but I just I, I wouldn't want to cover it. I'd want it to be in the stands. It's the only team I care about anymore. And of course, we're we're a very long way from seeing that happen <laughs> because they're they're eight and twenty one at this point. This is the 30th anniversary of the 1988 season when they finished. They started 0 21. Oh, oh, that's rough. <laughs> the uh, I think my my fantasy team this year is challenging that record for a start of a season. I like how your 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 uh, imagery there is like a game seven involving the Orioles, maybe against the Nats. You know, they're looking for a pitcher. They look to the crowd. A young man is standing up there who pitched in college somewhat locally. No, no, my arm's not good enough. All right, I'll give it a shot. He pitches a perfect game, and the Orioles win the World Series. This is the event that Aaron wants to attend. Yeah, you know, no, no specifics, just sort of general, but that's ideally the situation he'd like to see. Yeah, you can tell I've given it a little bit of thought. All right, I, before we get out of here, and we're going to get out of here on a – Aaron's rant. (laughs) Let's get to the Aaron's rant corner of the podcast. It's it's a big week for horse racing because of um, the the Kentucky Derby is this weekend. We'll we'll pick our winners based on name uh, because we we're not going to pretend to know anything about these horses. But uh, there's a headline in the Roanoke Times this week. It was actually a a story from Richmond Times Dispatch. But casino style gaming is coming to Virginia. Here's what happens next. I didn't read that very well. Let me read that again. Casino-style gaming is coming to Virginia. Here's what happens next. I mean, that is almost as clickbaity as you won't believe what Blair from Facts of Life looks like now. And I sh- for all I know, she might be in a coffin, so we would probably wouldn't believe that. Is she dead, Blair? From I have no idea. Okay. I've not kept up with the Facts of Life cast. <laughs> Here's my problem with this story. Okay? Except Trudy. Obviously, I know what Trudy's up to these days, but no. Tootie. It's Tootie. Tootie. As you can tell, I'm a big fan of the facts of life. Okay. Here we go. Here's what it is. All right? This this place, these, this group called Revolutionary Racing is going to build this thing in New Kent County, which is near Richmond. It says, Revolutionary Racing's plan is built around historic horse racing wagering machines, terminals that look and feel like a slot machine. But instead of being powered by random luck, they are connected to an archive of past horse races. What the hell does that mean? The new type of electronic gambling, also known as instant racing, may simulate the feel of a casino. To whom, I ask? Uh, you, you listeners can't see this right now, but there's literally steam coming out of Aaron's ears at the description of this quote-unquote casino. You cannot do that to us gambling-loving uh, folks out there and tell us that this casino-style gambling and then tell us it's that. You get out there and they hand you like a bunch of pull tabs. It's like, oh, this is cool. 
This is what I tweeted. Buy your Powerball tickets here. It's it's a real casino, folks. Let me let this be a help to any headline writer in the future, okay? This is my tweet. My definition of casino-style gambling, which may differ from AP style book, one craps, two blackjack, three poker, four roulette, five slots, six ales, seven affordable yet delicious buffets, and eight Supreme Court pending a sports book. You meet the top seven criteria, and you are casino-style gambling. Otherwise, get out of my face with that. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's. Do you go to some places that don't have poker, though? Yeah. Do all the places have poker? Or do, do they not? Uh, no, I mean, like, and really, uh, like the Hard Rock Cafe in Miami, or the Hard Rock Casino in Miami, I don't consider that you know a real casino. It's it's blackjack and poker. It's it's good. It's better than nothing. You got to have the tables. Yeah. Like the craps. I, yeah. And I, and don't don't give me these video craps. You know, like this I don't video craps crap. Yeah, I don't want to see that. Okay, Get let's, out of here. Let's. That's any- Aaron's rant. I have nothing to add. I'm not a degenerate gambler like Aaron, so I can't really formulate an opinion this strong about it. But I, I came into the office today, and Aaron was hot. He was hot about this. He says, it's ridiculous. It's the worst thing ever. It's like sending the, you know, they always do these reviews of the thing. They send somebody who doesn't gamble out to go do the review for the newspaper. Like, right. You don't send somebody out there that doesn't eat to review a restaurant, <laughs> do you? It really grinds my you gears. Were, yeah, I was grinding your ear. You were in a lather. You well, were worked they, up into a lather. They write these things like, I don't gamble, but uh, I spent a night at the, at the hotel, and I went down at 2 o'clock, and there were very unsavory characters playing slots. I'm like, that's just when it starts getting good. I will say that Tom Jones put on an excellent <laughs> show, though. Well, with the, the Kentucky Derby, I asked you earlier if you like the Kentucky Derby, you care about it, and you said absolutely not. Nah. No, horse yeah. racing, I just don't care. I've been to a Kentucky Derby. I was on the infield, and I didn't see a horse all week. Ah. I was just there to, like, drink and have a good time. It was in college. My older brother or- owned a horse. Uh, it wasn't a thoroughbred horse. It was one of those trotters, you know, that had the little buggies behind them and the people in them. And he, he raced at Rosecroft in Maryland. His name was Sacroman. And so we would go see his horse race. And this is before that, you know, you had casinos in Delaware and, and West Virginia and everywhere else nearby in Maryland. If you wanted to gamble, you either played the lottery, which I'm not going to do, or you drove to Atlantic City, which is a long way, or you go to the local horse track. Bet the ponies. Bet the ponies. And Kentucky Derby Day was like one day I would not go. Like I was the guy that goes on a Tuesday at uh, one o'clock, you know, after my classes in, in the morning, and <laughs> probably a pretty uh, upbeat crowd at that point of the week. Right? <laughs> the same people were there every time. Well, I mean, I, yeah, it, it was great. That's why I love that movie Let It Ride so much because it so captures what the what the clientele is there. But the Kentucky Derby is this weekend. I, I like watching it. Uh, my kids will gather around and watch it. Hannah likes to see the pretty horses. And uh, Casey's, you know, interested. Uh, cause I'll place like a dollar bet or something on them for him. But um, who do you like in the Kentucky Derby? I, I don't really like any horse because I, I don't know how you would even go about thinking of picking a horse in this thing. I'm going to pick it just based on the name. And I'm going to go with. Magnum Moon. I like the alliteration. Ooh, okay, a little bit of a surprise. Five to one morning line there. Oh, I see six to one on my thing. Okay, I'm looking at the U.S. Racing uh, website. Let's go with Magnum Moon. Justify is your favorite at five to two. I think that's a name that could win. You know, you always need a name that could win in these races. And that, uh, There's a lot of Italian names in this, this one. Vino Rosso. This one, Salamini. 
If this Bravazzo? were 1997, Ferenzi fire. This is <laughs> the Italians are taking over the horse racing scene here. If this was 1997 and I was about to go to the ALCS, but I wanted to bet a few ponies, I would actually look at the speed figures and look at their pace and class. And, oh my gosh! And, and everything I else, just, I'd buy the program. I'm falling asleep just listening to this. <laughs> but since it's 2018, I'm going to just pick my name as well, and I'm going to go with Combatant in honor of my. Two seasons of Game of Thrones down the hatch. I'm going to go. 50 to 1. Yeah. Wow. Bomb. Bombs wow. away, baby. Hey, 20 horse field, anything can happen, man. Get him mixed up in the middle there. So you're going to watch this and you're going to like care about it? or I'm going to watch it because I have this weekend off. I'm taking a couple vacation days this week. And so after my kids' games, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and watch this race. I might watch. Emily kind of likes horses. We yeah. saw a live horse, and she was really like touched his nose and everything. She really liked it. So maybe in that sense, but I, uh, I don't know. I just horse racing. Then people get so excited for the, like the races after this. And I feel like it's like so fixed that they want the sec the horse that wins the Derby to win the second race. So everybody cares about the third race and the triple crown. I just, I don't care when it happens. Well, you got to remember I grew up in Maryland. And right. The Preakness is a big deal there. And uh, I never went to the Preakness, but it was a big deal. And I always thought the Preakness was cool because you had a horse that you knew you were watching because somebody's won the first race, you know, somebody's won the first leg. So now you're watching the second leg. And then, I feel bad for the Belmont because so often they're just who cares. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I come down in the uh, the Ralph Cifaretto opinion about horse racing from the Sopranos was it's a freaking horse. <laughs> it's, it's about as approximate as I can get to the thing. I don't know. They're horses. I just don't get excited about it. People talk about when they win the Triple Crown. What an amazing athletic accomplishment. I'm like, it's a horse. Let's, let's maybe not compare, you know, secretariat to actual human beings who are athletes when we do all this stuff. That's sort of my problem with horse racing, I guess. Well, you know what else they say? If horse racing is the sport of kings, then surely bowling is a very fine sport as well. Words to go by. <laughs> and we'll end on that. Watch C- Combatant on Saturday night. Storm to victory. Magnum Moon. Right. Magnum Moon, well, folks. We'll, we'll get together again when we have something to talk about. Until then, for Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.